I'm just going to pray quickly um, and then we'll go into it. Father God, I thank you that uh, you are a God who casts out fear in us and through us. Uh, Lord, as I speak today, I pray if there's any nervousness or fear in my heart that you would uh, reduce it, you would cast it out of me. And, and if there's fear in us as a church or as individuals when it comes to the topics and themes that we're discussing today, would you please cast it out of us today? Would you give us the tools and the courage to cast out fear? In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. I don't like looking at myself, so I'm in gallery view. Um, brilliant. So we're in a series looking at living out faith and love in the church, uh, particularly around the topics of the LGBTQI plus discussion, which is a wonderful acronym if you read it. But if you say it out loud, it is a mouthful. So I was looking online, like, what are some other ways I can say this? So let's go with gender and sexual minorities. And by that, we mean LGBTQI plus because I don't want to just say acronyms that take longer to say than to read. Um, I hope that's okay with everyone. If it's not, please tell me afterwards. Um, these things are important and names are important. So brilliant. So if we've looked at addressing ignorance, uh, speaking into silence and acknowledging prejudice. And so this is part four of the, the challenges and the, the principles we want to have in mind when we talk about these things, when we think about them, when we discuss them in church, when we pray about them, when we discern what God's will is. We want to have these principles in mind because they're good, they're biblical, they're strong principles. The principle of casting out fear is very biblical. I don't know um, how many of you know this, but the number one most repeated command in the Bible is to do not be afraid. Do not fear. It comes up over and over and over again throughout scripture. This is a very biblical principle. And, and so we're going to apply it and we're going to try and look at this issue uh, of gender and sexual minorities and how we think, process, think and discuss it um, through the lenses of fear is not good for us. Um, and I don't think we need much convincing to know that fear isn't good for us. You know, it, it, it cripples us. It makes us turn inwards and think about ourselves. We shut off other people. We become very protective. The, the team spirit just is destroyed when we're, when we're living as individuals in fear, let alone communities in fear. Um, so we're looking at the story of Paul's conversion, which I hope for many of us will be a familiar story. Paul or Saul, uh, the name's not that important. With Abraham and Abraham, the name change was important. With Saul to Paul, it's not that important. I'll use them interchangeably. Um, but this, this conversion story in Acts 9 is, is familiar probably to a lot of us. Saul is going on the road to Damascus in mind to uh, imprison Christians, to capture them, to murder them. Um, to persecute them and he encounters Jesus in a blinding light it falls to his feet that falls to his, his face and hears God saying why are you persecuting me and uh, this is the story of their encounter and we usually look at this story probably through the lens of Saul's conversion encountering Jesus um, but there is quite a lot of fear that's explored in this in this story as well and so we're going to look at the the fear aspects of this story and the first uh, area of fear, probably the most obvious, is the fear to reach out 
And we see this with Ananias's fear in verse 13 to 14. Ananias is an ordinary Christian. We probably can all relate to Ananias. He's just there having his quiet time for reading his Bible. God, what do you want to say to me today? And in verse 13, um, sorry, verse 11, the Lord says to him, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a vision of you coming to his house and placing his hands on him and restoring sight. Ananias, just there, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to go and visit Saul. Now, Ananias knows who Saul is. He knows he's on a mission to, to capture Christians and persecute them. And so what he does is what we probably often do when God asks us to do something uncomfortable. He explains to Jesus the facts. He says, Jesus, look, I'm not sure if you know this, but um, I've heard reports about this man and all the harm he is doing to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority to arrest those who call on your name. Are you sure this is the man you want me to reach? Are you sure this is the, the person you want me to reach? And often we try and justify our fears. We try and explain them away. Oh, you know, and sometimes it's because we have legitimate fears. And sometimes we're not sure. Uh, and the uncertainty and the ignorance causes fear in us. So Ananias is demonstrating fear. He's asking the questions. What will happen if I reach out to Paul? What would happen if I let him into my life? Will he betray me? Will he hurt me? Will he turn me in? Will he publicly humiliate me? And then perhaps there are these internal fears that, that Ananias has. Will he scare me? Will he intimidate me away from Jesus? Will he argue against argue me against Jesus, my Lord? What will the other Christians think if I start hanging out with Paul? And then later on, the church has very similar fears. We don't have it in our readings, but it's in verse 26. It says uh, the church, they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Perhaps they're wrestling with some questions, fear related. You know, what will happen if we let Paul in? What if we let him lead us? What if we give him a position of authority? What if we let him do mission? Will he introduce a heresy? Will he turn people away? Will he scare other people? He's a persecutor. He's a violent man. What will happen? What will the church in Galilee think of us if we start doing this, you know, and we start thinking about. And I think these questions, these fear questions are very easily. We, we can very easily apply them to, to our questions at the moment. How do we reach out to these people? What will happen? What if we do this? What, what's the risk? What will other people think? And then there, there's these fear questions that, that we might be able to relate when it comes to reaching out. Let's focus on Ananias. I'm scared to reach out to this man, God, that you've told me to. He's being honest with God. And as Christians today, as we read this story, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know what happens to Paul. We know that, that it goes on in verse uh, 20 to 22. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, oh, we have this. We, we know hindsight. We can, And it's easy to conquer fear when you have hindsight on your side. It's easy to, to deal with sin when you know the outcome is secure. We know that Paul goes on to write like a lion's share of the New Testament. He is, he's a go-getter for the gospel. He's a, he's a good find. 
But what about Ananias? Because he didn't have this hindsight. How did Ananias cast out this fear, this uncertainty of reaching out to someone who he felt deeply uncomfortable about? How do we conquer our fear when it comes to reaching out to people who, who don't seem interested in the gospel, who might have these barriers in the way, or we perceive that they have certain barriers in the way? Let's turn to Ananias, because God helps him cast out the fear. He doesn't just say go. He gives him a promise. So after he's, he's uh, said, God, I'm not sure I want to go. It says in verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he will need to suffer for my name. God gives Ananias a promise of what the gospel can do to a man like Saul. Do you know, we have very similar promises about what God can do to people who don't know Jesus to people who seem like unlikely candidates. I don't know if you have your Bible with you, but if you turn with me, I don't know if you know this verse, but there's a verse in John's Gospel. If you find the Gospel of John, I'll give you some time. If you've got your Bible in front of you, turn to the beginning of John. There's this, there's this wonderful promise that we have as Christians. I'm not sure if, if you know this one. It's in chapter 3. Once you found chapter 3, it's right at the beginning. Verse 16 of chapter three. I don't know how many of you know this verse, but there's a promise in here for people who we might be scared to reach out to. We might. Oh, how are they going to relate to the gospel? And have you found it yet? John 316. Some of you who have really been around church a while might have memorized this one. I don't know. But it's important that we've got it in front of us because sometimes we forget what's in front of us. So John 316 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, who, whoever, if you're reading in the King James Version, it might say whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but may have eternal life. God loved the world so that whoever would believe in him. That includes people like Saul. That includes people like me who have struggled with sin, who struggled with brokenness, who struggled with difficulties and painful past experiences and isolation. This applies to everyone. This is good news for everyone. This is a promise that we can hold on to when it comes to, oh, I don't know if I should be reaching out to these people. Or I'm not sure how they're going to react to it. The gospel says whoever believes in Jesus have this good news elsewhere it says that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of god for the salvation of everyone who believes first to the jew and then to the gentile 2 corinthians 5 17 says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation this gospel good news is good news for everyone it can change lives the promises of the gospel are for all and so may we cast out the fear of reaching out with the promises that god has provided that the gospel is good news for everyone we are called to imitate jesus after all aren't we and he is the ultimate example of someone who reached out to us um, while we were while we were dead in our sins, 
while we were enemies of God. The Bible says that Christ reached out for us. I love the story of the prodigal son, where it says when the son was a long way off, the father saw him and he ran to him. God is a God who reached out, who crossed those boundaries. And I think what's what's good, if we go back to Acts, sorry, taking you around the Bible, if, if, you, if we go to Acts, what does Ananias do when he reaches Saul? And think about what he does and, and compare it to what we often do when we're approaching people who are part of this gender or sexual minorities who have different views to us or who we've written off for whatever reason. Then Ananias, it says in verse 17, went into the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to say that so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, Brother Saul. How does this compare to how we might reach out or how the church previously before us has reached out? It's, hi there, if you want to become a Christian, you need to give up this, this, this and this. And you need to stop living like this, this. And, and we set all these prerequisites for how the gospel might be presented. Actually, it's coming to them and saying, brother. I find it interesting that in verse 16, it's Jesus who says, I will show him how much he must suffer. Yes, the gospel is a, a gospel that, that is, is about self-sacrifice and there are things we're going to have to give up. And there is a, a suffering that is involved in following Jesus. I just think it's interesting that Jesus says, I will show him how much to suffer. You don't have to worry about telling him to stop killing Christians and these kinds of things. Actually, let God do the work of the heart. The first fear is I'm scared to reach out to people who are different to me, who think differently, who maybe have different political leanings or different cultural leanings or different gender and sexual leanings than me. Hold on to the promise that the gospel is good news for everyone. But what's the second fear? It's the fear to enter in. Uh, we look at Saul and we think of him, he has this fear in this story, not just of Jesus, of that sudden flash of lightning, but probably of the church. He's probably scared to enter the church. This is a, a, a body that he's opposed, that it says he's been breathing out murderous threats or taking prisoners or overseeing the executions and killings. And I'm not trying to compare Saul's killing Christians to the, the activities of gender and sexual minorities. That's, that's not the point of this story, but there is a, a fear of entering into the church. Um, and we've played a massive role in that. Um, historically, the church has not been welcoming to, to members of the LGBTQI plus community. And, and that's to put it mildly, very mildly, to say the least. And it can be scary for them to enter in. Um, there is a fear for many people. And so what can we do as St. Christopher's? What, what can be done to help alleviate that fear? 
well, it probably first helps to start empathizing with it and to imagine what it must be like to enter a church to reveal this aspect of your personality, your life, your 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 way of being, your, the, the, that's previously been mocked or ridiculed, humiliated, rejected, and to share that. Can we empathize with that fear? A few weeks ago, I was um, I was doing some outreach with Doug. I don't know if how many probably all remember Doug, the youth worker, and we were going around the student areas, uh, just handing out flyers and offering to pray for people and being weird Christians, interrupting people's lives. Um, and we walked past this church that's quite near my flat. It's called St Bartholomew's. I don't know how many of you know St Bartholomew's. It's a beautiful church on top of a hill. And we're just walking past. I'm in my head trying to get over the fear of reaching out. And Doug, being Doug, goes, this is a beautiful church. We need to stop here and we need to pray. So we we go in through the gate, which is open, and we stand outside this church and we start praying. And then Doug says, let's go inside the church. I didn't want to do that because even though the door was open, it was someone else's church. It was scary. The door was open. I'm a Christian, but I'm not quite sure I should be going into other people's churches in the middle of the day, especially when it's not Sunday. There was a kind of a, an anxiety and nervousness. Like, is this right for me to? And I'm a Christian. I'm 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 out there doing evangelism, and and I'm feeling nervous to enter this church, even with the doors wide open. And I didn't even think that's a speck of dust in comparison to the level of fear and anxiety that many people have entering the church and revealing who they are. Even if we have our doors wide open, which is fantastic, even if we have free tea and coffee and donuts and and hot chocolates in our services, which is all fantastic, it doesn't alleviate the fear. It's not quite enough for us to alleviate that fear. So what can be done? We can empathize with that. But maybe God is calling us to model the vulnerability that we are expecting other people to show. I think we're we're fairly good at this in St. Christopher's in one sense, and I think in other areas we struggle with this. So, for example, what I really like is every Sunday, and we did it today, we get together and we confess our sins to one another. And we, before everyone on video, are saying together the words of the confession and saying, before our church and before God, look, we haven't lived perfectly this week. We've made mistakes. We've been ashamed of Christ. We've done things. We've looked at things. We've engaged in activities that are not good for us. And we are sorry. And we we confess. And I think that is an act of vulnerability, which we which doesn't happen in every church. But modeling vulnerability goes beyond that. It's admitting our struggles to one another. It's asking for help, sharing our weaknesses. It's asking questions when we don't understand, when we disagree. It's vulnerability. It's one thing to say, ah, I really struggled with that sin five years ago, and now it's not an issue for me, and this is how I got it. But to say, actually, right now, today, I'm struggling with this sin in my life or this issue of doubt in my life or this problem. Like yesterday, I lose my temper or how, how can I, I'm feeling really depressed at the moment. Do we talk this vulnerably and honestly? 
Do we model what we expect other people to? That will help us empathize, but it will also create a vision and a place that people can see and go, this is a place that accepts the broken. This is a place that accepts those who doubt, who are unsure, who don't know where they are. Like, can we model vulnerability? Can we talk honestly? I wonder what would happen if the church had a reputation of not being self-righteous and perfect people meeting together or people pretending to be perfect meeting together, but was, was known as a place where it's broken, desperate people who are acknowledging their need to each other and demonstrating God's love. Maybe it would be less scary for people to be vulnerable and honest about where they're at. May our demonstrated love for one another in areas of shame and guilt and uncertainty and issues close to our heart, may that be a witness that would cast out fear for other people. There's, um, there's a, a, a word in this passage that comes up twice um, in Greek, it's anesthemia. It's a little difficult to see if you're reading the English translation because it's translated differently. Um, and it means arise, go. And this word comes up throughout the New Testament. Uh, it means Jesus rose up, he raised Lazarus. Like it comes up a lot. But in, in the book of Acts, quite often this word, esteem, I don't know if I'm saying it right, uh, anesthemia, it comes up and it's usually to do with commissioning people to do works for God, to step into God's purpose for their life. So in Acts, we see Philip God says to him, arise and go into the desert and meet the Ethiopian eunuch. To, to Peter, he says, arise and go downstairs and meet the Gentiles. And the gospel goes to the Gentiles. In this story, it comes up to Ananias. He says, arise and go to Straight Street. Reach out. Reach out to Saul. And it also comes up in verse six when Jesus is talking to Saul and he says, now arise and go into the city. And uh, part of this talk, I want to encourage people who are struggling or, or wrestling with these ideas and, and it's close to them or close to people they, they know to, to, to arise and come into the church. And there may be people in our congregation who have already done that or people who are thinking about doing that. But like Saul, I want you to hear God's words, arise and come into the church. I think uh, that there's an idiot, well, I know there's an idiom that's used quite frequently, it's like, come out and, and I think it's a good expression, come out, tell the world, tell your friends and family what's going on inside of you. But maybe as a church, we can encourage people to come in to a place of acceptance and love We've not got it perfect. We're still working things out. And I'm sure throughout my talk, there's been loads of slips of inappropriate kind of emphasis that I've put on. We, are, we need to work this out. But may you come in, arise and come in. May you find that this place is a welcoming place, a loving place of acceptance, forgiveness, that we meet vulnerabilities with love and may that cast out fear. Yes, it will be difficult. Jesus does not deny this when he says, 
I will show him how much you need to suffer. When we decide to take off our masks and be honest about the issues in our life that we haven't got pinpoint perfect, when, and that's put it mildly, when we're, when we're honest about the things we're struggling with, whether it's in our family, our marriage, our work, our mental health, when we take that off and we encounter the love, not just of God, which is great, but the love of the church around you. Let us arise, arise and reach out and arise and enter in. And that the call to arise and enter in isn't just for, for those outside the church who don't know Jesus or, or who are struggling uh, to come to groups with, with Christianity. It's a, it's a call for us as well to arise and enter into honest, vulnerable community with one another to experience the love of God administered to us through all of you. May we arise. I want to finish with a, a prophecy in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. Lord, I pray that St. Christopher's would be a place where we arise to reach out with love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and reconciliation. And I pray it be a place that people can arise and enter into, honestly, with vulnerabilities. Lord, give us courage. Help us to hold on to the promises that you've given us and help us to know the love that overlooks everything that we might be called children of God. Amen.